Welcome to The Chit Chat, where we delve deep into the world of conversational commerce, technology, and business. I'm your host, Jesse Lucas, and I'm excited to have you join us. In each episode, we'll be joined by special guests from across the industry, sharing their expertise and insights. Get ready for engaging conversations that inspire and inform. The Chit Chat. This week, I'm joined by the sensational Christoph Esslinger, the co-founder and managing director of White Agency. Christoph and his team are on a mission not just to design virtual assistants, but to revolutionize our interactions with them via a human-centric and holistic approach. They are developing technology to serve and connect us on a much deeper level. Whether you are a tech enthusiast, an entrepreneur, or someone curious about conversational platforms, this is the episode for you. So get comfortable, tune in, and join us as we embark on this journey from conversational to charismatic AI. Without further ado, let's get started. Christoph, welcome to the Shit Chat. Thanks very much for having me, Jesse. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you for coming along. I want to start off by just understanding a bit more about you, Christoph. So where did your journey begin? So I always had the dream of becoming an entrepreneur. And I shared this dream with my brother. So basically, we decided after I had finished my PhD in economics and he had finished his PhD in like more of an engineering product development background to start a company together. And when we looked at, you know, which opportunities exist for us in the market, I looked at my background in economics, so it's, economics is quite data-driven. However, it's also a lot about understanding human behavior. It's a part of economics, which is called behavioral economics, for example. Uh, and then there was a second part, which I actually didn't follow in my studies, but which I was very passionate about in high school, which is a passion for language. And when, basically, it was the... the year 2016, it was the time when, you know, first uh, chatbots really, uh, really started to, to, take the, to take the market. And then I looked at this technology and said, oh, well, it's a, lot about, it's a lot about data, it's about machine learning, but it's at the same time about language. And that's actually how, how we started this, this company focused first on conversational AI. Fantastic. And so did you recognize a gap in the market before you started the company? Or was it more just have these passions, let's combine them? Oh, this is a great idea. I do believe it was to some degree definitely based on, you know, this passion that I, that I felt inside myself. I, I saw that I could combine this knowledge of like, you know, a data-driven approach and, and my passion for languages. But at the same time, you know, this, this, this market at that point was just about to start. So yes, of course, there was a big, a big gap in the market, and it was not even clear yet in which directions services, companies, offerings would develop. So it was like always basically a plain playing field, and that's, that's where we started. Great. And you have a really strong academic background, and I hope you don't mind. Could you share that with our listeners, please? And I guess what I wouldn't understand as well is, how did this shape your perspective on technology? Yeah. So, as I said, I did um, I did a PhD in uh, in economics. 
I actually also met my wife, by the way, in, in England on an economics conference. So she was doing okay. her PhD <laughs> in, at the University of Exeter. And I was always fascinated by the, the economic repercussions that big technological changes have. And right now, we are exactly in such a time of technological revolution. Uh, there's, there's actually an interesting uh, new book out, which is called The Feeling Economy, which basically looks at also the current, uh, the current technological revolution from, uh, you know, like it puts it into historical perspective. And it basically argues, well, the, you know, in the industrial revolution, manual labor was taken over by machines. And in terms of like, you know, the labor market, we moved to intellectual labor. So jobs moved much more in the direction of intellectual labor. Now, right now, we are in what I would call the AI revolution, where intellectual labor is taken over more and more by machines. And an interesting argument that this book makes is that we will, in the coming century, more move towards jobs that focus on social skills. You know, that's why it calls the feeling economy. Maybe, maybe you could call it emotional uh, work. Um, so it's, it's about, for example, making teams really unleash their creative power together. Uh, how, do you, how do you lead a team? You know, it's, about, it's about leadership qualities, things like that. Uh, and I, I think this is really a really interesting argument when we think about you know, where will our jobs move in the future. Uh, there was an interesting... Uh, article just recently in one of the um, biggest German newspapers focused on on business, which is the, called the Handelsblatt, um, where they interviewed the CEO of the Otto Group, which is a big, uh, also a big German uh, retail group, and basically he he was saying he doesn't see AI as a as a job killer, but he said probably almost every job is going to change in the coming years. So in my eyes, the AI revolution is indeed a technological revolution comparable to the industrial revolution. In my eyes, it's really not a hype you know, because you have these discussions. Is it a hype? Is it, you know? uh, and you, you can see that in my eyes because the, the productivity increase that it brings, it's, it's just too high to ignore. So, you know, like we will, we will just be able to create presentations, write emails, and so on, much faster than we did in the, in the past, right? And companies are reacting. The, you know, this interview that I just talked about with the CEO of the Otto Group, he described that in this group, they implemented something they call AutoGPT, which is a, a version of a large language model. If I remember correctly, it's building on OpenAI and Microsoft Technologies, but basically it's a, it's a proprietary model that makes sure data security issues and so on are taken care of. And uh, the CEO said, I expect every single one of my over 40,000 employees to work with that technology. And in my eyes, this is exactly the way to go. You have to prepare for it. You have to make these technologies available from within your own company. And why do you have to do that? Because people will use this technology anyway. You know, because the productivity gain is too much if you, have to, if you have to prepare a presentation and you can now do it within a few hours instead of a week, anyone who doesn't use this technology, they will be left behind. You know? So for companies, it's much better 
to have their employees use it in a framework that they control, that they have control over. And so this, like, you know, this putting this current technological revolution in, in historic perspective, this is something I really take from my academic background. That's fantastic. I think for me, in addition to that, it's actually a really exciting prospects. And I think people can be drawn to the negativities of how this is going to change. It's going to change how we live. Um, but I guess we have to embrace that change and actually think really outside the box. And as humans, we have a great potential here to, you know, get rid of mundane, boring tasks, reciprocal tasks from our life. And actually, I think it's going to be like a paradigmic shift within humanity, actually. And it's almost like finding our place again. But the potential for that is really quite exciting. Of course, mm. there are going to be lots of hurdles to overcome. I know there's there's a lot of talk about whether you have like a general wage to every person, for example, within a society. And then, you know, people that want, you know, to go above that wage, they then, you know, mm. go for the other jobs, for example. But yeah, I, th I think it's really exciting. But of course, there's a lot, a lot of change for humanity that's going to have to happen. And then, so taking a trip down memory lane for a moment, how have you seen conversational AI evolve since the early days of your involvement? So I would say when, when we started, you know, it was the time when first example, assistants like uh, Alexa or Google Assistant came out. But pretty soon there was also a lot of focus. And I think that was the focus of the last years on the use of conversational AI in customer service. So, you know, like replacing these traditional IVR systems that have you answer if you have this issue, please press one. If you have this issue, please, you know, driving people insane. They were replaced step-by-step by, step by modern, modern systems that could understand natural language. Uh, however, since, you know, this is also a, uh, a conversational commerce podcast, I think we are now entering a really exciting time where AI will really also you know, take a strong impact on the area of marketing and sales. And to be honest, in my eyes, we have only entered the age of conversational commerce truly since ChatGPT. So since the public availability of large language models. And this is because these LLMs have brought capacities to the table that are absolutely necessary in the areas of marketing and sales, which is like a really natural conversation, keeping the context. You know? If these things don't work perfectly in the context of customer service, you can still get around it. You know? Because the, an, an objective that often drives customer service applications is first the cost-saving aspect. And that's why you, you can still get around if the conversation is not completely natural or if you cannot completely keep context. But this is not working in the areas of marketing and sales. So since we have this powerful technology that allows us to really go into natural conversations with our customers, I think since this year, we have really entered the age of conversational commerce. And do you think executives individuals and companies have made that shift in their mind in terms of understanding that now that our conversational AI abilities have increased thanks to large language models, you know, you don't just have to view 
conversational AI as a customer service cost-saving initiative. You can view it as a sales revenue generating initiative too. Mm. Definitely. So mm. from basically from all the customer interactions we have in the recent months, we always hear the same thing saying like, you know, product owners basically telling us this topic is top of mind in our board at the sea level. Uh, we have to react. We have to react fast. You know? And of course, you know, like the sea level things across across the whole company, right? It doesn't just think about customer services, it thinks about the whole company. Uh, and this for sure, you know, like uh, this, like I just I just recently listened to a podcast by uh, Tim Hütkes, which is the CEO of uh, Deutsche Telekom, talking about how Deutsche Telekom is using AI and how they're driving uh, the AI of efforts forward. And clearly, like you know, this this uh, this topic is also top of mind for him. He said, "I declared this uh, as a as a topic that I dedicate myself a, a dedicated certain amount uh, of hours per week." To drive this topic forward yeah really interesting and so you mentioned the introduction of alexa to the market and chat gpt have there been any other significant leaps and turning points in the industry well you know definitely in my eyes the, the most significant turning point was chat gpt coming out mm. so the you know like the, the technology that is underlying this uh Basically, framework you know, it has been has been around for longer, right? But making it available to the masses in an in an in an interface in which you know we, we can just behave as we are, right? We can just naturally chat with this uh, with this with this interface with this bot, and and it just surprises us in how natural it it talks back. In my eyes, that was by far the most significant turning point. Since then, there's no more question like, you know, people might not like bots or, you know, like this. Because what this has clearly shown is as long as these things work, people have mm. no problem interacting with them. And as long as they solve significant pain points, people jump on it, you know? Yeah. And I think it was just also the fact that it was so easy for people to use, understand, and how they could apply it to their lives made a huge difference. And I know Absolutely. in reagency you talk a lot about charismatic AI. And to be honest, before you, I hadn't come across this fact. But can you delve into exact what exactly that means, and and when you came up with the concept? Absolutely. So you asked before, you know, like if we saw a a certain niche in the market or something like that. So when we started, like you know, as I said, the market was basically still an, an open playing field. However, we have always approached the topic of digital assistance from the angle of customer experience. So when I introduce ourselves, I usually like to introduce ourselves as the experience experts or the experience specialists for AI. So what we said is, well, when creating an assistant, even a digital one, it's all about how this assistant makes us feel while we are interacting with it. I really like to look at the role model of human-to-human -human interaction and then we said, well, the peak of such a human-to-human -human interaction is a charismatic interaction. When we walk away uh, from an interaction and we say, wow, we know we like this person, even though we sometimes cannot really explain why. And so charismatic AI, this vision of charismatic AI that we are working towards, is about taking the parts 
of human charisma that can be transferred to a machine setting and doing exactly that. So building interactions that make people really feel good. You know? And so our definition of charisma at its core, I would say, builds on a great book, which I usually refer to as the Bible of Charisma, which is called The Charisma Myth by Olivia Fox Cabane. And in essence, she defines charisma as being based on three pillars, power, presence, and warmth. So basically, power means, can you move the world for me? Yeah. Warmth means, do you want to do good things for me? So do you want to move the world for me? And presence is, do you have the presence so that I can feel you can and you do want to move the world for me? So when these three things come together, we are, we are attracted to another person. You know? When one of them is missing, so for example, you have a very powerful person who wants us bad, we're not very attracted to that person. When we have someone who, is, you know, who wants a lot of good for us, but they really don't have the power to, to move much for us, we're also not that attracted to this person. You know? So these things have to come together. And of course, charisma has many layers below these main pillars. And that's also what, you know, what our research team focuses on to understand charisma in depth. But these three pillars are a good starting point to understand the gist of the concept of charisma. And importantly, by this definition, charismatic AI is always ethical AI. Why? Because otherwise it would violate the pillar of warmth. You know, wanting good for the other person, putting the other person in the center of your attention. It's actually a nice, a nice example from the book that I also like to tell in these circumstances, which is um, to explain, you know, like what, what charisma is all about. And it's really about putting your conversational partner at the center of attention. Uh, it was, um, I think, a, a race for the, f an electoral race for prime minister of the, uh, of the UK. And I think it was, it was a race at that point between Benjamin Disraeli and I don't remember the second, uh, the second guy. And basically, there was I a female journalist. <laughs> yeah, there was a, there was a female journalist who went out with both gentlemen uh, just before, like just before the election, and she did an interview with these gentlemen. And afterwards, she was asked, "So, how was the interview? You know, what did you learn?" And let's call the second one Mr. X. She said, "Like I, I came out of this uh, out of this talk with Mr. X, and I was convinced he's the most brilliant person in the UK." And I came out of the talk with Mr. Disraeli, and I was convinced I am the most brilliant person in the UK. So that's what charisma is about. You know, it's about making the other person feel special. You know, making the other person feel feel good about themselves. So, as we define charismatic AI, it would never make people do something that is not in their best interest which is very interesting or like very important right now, right? Maybe, maybe at a, a later point, we will talk a little bit about also about these points of regulating the AI's, uh, AI space, right? So it's, it's really important that when we define charismatic AI, we would define it as never doing something 
that is not in the best interest of the people. So talking about conversational commerce, we only work with companies in whose products and the value of whose products we truly believe. So we can say, yes, if I sell one more of these insurance packages, I am doing something which is in the best interest of the customer. Then we can, with good conscience, create this AI, which is also really attractive in its interaction. And so have you actually turned down companies before then because you don't believe in their products or offering? So until now, we, we haven't been approached by, by companies whose, whose products we, 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 didn't, we didn't believe in. And, you know, like a um, big part of, uh, like of our basic customer base is also based on our own outreach, so our own sales and our own sales efforts are, of course, focused on the companies that we do, we do believe in. Mm. Right? Yeah. And have you been able to prove the value of delivering charismatic AI? So what does that mean in terms of customers, mm. partners, results? And, and something I'm particularly interested in, as, as I'm assuming maybe some of these companies didn't even have conversational AI before you worked with them on their conversational AI initiative to make it charismatic. So have you been able to kind of like detach the two and say, this is actually what charismatic drives you? Yeah. So in my eyes, the value of charismatic AI is really about establishing a deep connection. And you talked about it a little bit in, in your intro also. So we're talking here about establishing a true relationship. We're talking about establishing long-lasting loyalty. And all of that is based on delivering true value to your customers. So in my personal opinion, in sales, you can fool a person once, can maybe fool them twice. But if you do not sell something of true value, at some point it will backfire and you will lose them as a customer forever. So building a charismatic sales assistant, which respects the central pillar of warmth, actually disciplines a company to always focus on this long-term value delivery and the resulting loyalty. So the concept of designing a charismatic assistant really is not, is not only about the exact wording that you use. It's really, it's reaching up to product design, you know, like it's, it's reaching up to focusing all your efforts on delivering long-lasting true value to your customers. And if you manage by such a focus on delivering true value to your customers, to turn your customers into fans, you know, this, this value is, is immeasurable. Because customers that have become your fans, they will promote you for free. They cheer, they cheer on your products. And importantly, they stick with you through thick and thin. You know? Like a, uh, a role model of mine that I, that I really also like to listen to talking about these topics is, is Simon Sinek. Right? And, and he, he makes exactly these points you know, in, 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 some of, in some of the videos that he, for example, posts on LinkedIn. In the end, you should be interested in, create, in creating customers, as I said, that stick with you also through the bad times. And this loyalty is, is of immense value. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of other similarities between what Simon Sinek says in terms yeah. of how humans, we should be portraying ourselves and how we should be delivering messages. And I guess, so mm -hmm. why should that be any difference between 
the virtual assistant conversational AI. Essentially, it's an extension of your organization, just like any other human. And so you should behave and act and believe and do everything in its in the way a human should as well. Yeah. So what I, you know, like the example I, I like to use when I talk exactly about this point, Jesse, is, for example, like, you know, let's think about the area of, of customer service, right? And and you're putting you're putting an assistant out there that is, for example, available on your on your chat interface. It's it's taking the calls of your of your customers on the phone as a first point of contact. So what I like to tell companies is, well, now think about this. You are hiring a digital employee that is talking to all of your customers as their first point of contact. If a human being would be able to do that, could do that. How much effort would you put into choosing and training that employee? And ourselves, we see basically we see ourselves as specialists in helping companies choose and train the right digital employee, which at the same time you know talks to hundreds of thousands of customers. Right? It's mm -hmm. a huge impact. And this 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 impact on brands. In the past, in my eyes, has been neglected. Now that the area enters top of mind also for CMOs and marketing departments, I think this will change. You know? But I've seen chatbots live on websites of premium brands where I, I, cannot, I cannot help but be sure that the brand department has never seen this interaction because it's, it's really detrimental to the, to the brand image. It's, it's sometimes so bad, you know, that I cannot imagine such a premium brand would allow something like that to be live on the website if they were aware of it. Yeah. And I think it's scary because it's so easy to find examples like the one you're talking about of, you know, premium yeah. brands, brands that would never have their staff in stores behaving in this way. And as of yet, they've just essentially it's a underinvestment they've made in the space. And I think they've sometimes gone about the full process of, of oh, you know, we need chatbot, we need a virtual assistant, mm. it's going to drive this. And, you know, they're, they're prepared to make that upfront cost, but they're not prepared to make that investment in terms of actually, well, let's give it, you know, the right branding, let's give it the, the conversational design mm. that it needs. And so I think they kind of missed the mark because maybe they oversimplify it in some ways. But to be honest, I think the main the main problem was that it was actually not top of mind for the top management, which mm. right now is the case, as I said before, you know, because in order to really implement a sound AI strategy, you need to define the strategy at the highest level, at the board level. And it cannot it cannot be restricted to a certain area. So what happened in the past is that it was usually coming as a, as a small project out of a certain area. And then in big enterprises, what happens sometimes is that these departments are, are not talking to each other in the, uh, in the way they, they should, if you think about an overarching strategy, right? And so this has really changed this year with what we talked about before, with top management taking ownership of the topic and saying like, well, we need an overarching strategy. This is going to affect every part of our company. And we're setting the strategy and we expect all departments to work together towards that strategy. Right? So I think, again, this has hugely shifted in the past, in the past year. 
and it's it has a huge impact on i think also it will have a huge impact on the quality of digital assistant interactions that we will see in the coming years great and what pivotal moment did you realize the necessity of what agency and what drove you to bring it to life when as i said we approached this topic always from the experience side and we realized quite soon that almost everybody else was approaching the topic from a technical perspective. So working on building a platform that combines certain technologies. And this is important work. This is, you know, uh, this, is, this is helping a lot to, to create good assistance, but it's just one side of the equation. Right? So instead of focusing on this technical approach, we went down a different path. Uh, we, we assembled a, a unique team that really brings together the most diverse set of disciplines, from linguistics over rhetoric, design, even architecture. And we said our team needs to be the best set of experts you can imagine to create that special interaction that turns a customer into a fan. And just to, to give you an example of the added value that this gives, you know, we recently worked, uh, and we, we've done this actually in, uh, in, in a lot of cases in the past year. But just to give you one example, we worked with a big, uh, with a big enterprise, and uh, we basically evaluated an existing, an existing voice board and proposed, based on, on our knowledge, based on our methodology, a UX-driven optimization. And so the, the technology stayed the same because it was, it was well chosen. It was a good, a good analog technology. So the technology stayed the same, but we managed through this UX optimization to double the end-to-end -end resolution rate of this bot. So, and actually here in this specific case, one of the main things we changed was how the bot greeted the users. And the effects were phenomenal. I mean, this is, this is huge, you know, in terms of value delivery, it's huge if you double the end-to-end -end, end -end resolution rate. Because unfortunately, in our market, there are certain best practices which were well-meant in the beginning, established, for example, on like how a bot starts into an interaction, which psychologically just put us in a, you know, in a state of mind that says, oh, well, this is again one of these dumb bots, and, and it's not going to work. So you, you have to emit a certain kind of confidence as a bot in order for the other person, like the, well, the bot is not a person, but in, in order for your conversational partner to feel, well, this is going to work. This is going to work out. This digital assistant is going to be able to help me. And it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of little things that create this first impression. Also, what, what companies in the area of voice bots underestimate is the importance of choosing the right voice and tuning that voice. It has a huge impact on the telephone when you, when you hear a voice that you like, that is agreeable, that is, you know, that, that your ears feel well hearing, right? Compared to a voice that is, has a wrong intonation, that, you know, doesn't set the brakes right, is, is too, has a too high, uh, too high pitch. So all of these things, you know, they immediately are a turnoff. And so you can do a lot, a lot of things by getting that first impression right. And I'm just really intrigued. Are you able to tell us what you changed the message to, just to give us a bit of an idea about that welcome message? So one thing was that took, we took out the, um, 
the reference to uh, to the human agents. So the message, for example, said immediately in the second sentence, um, if I'm not able to understand you, I will forward you to a human agent. Right? This is, a, as I said, a well-established best practice, but uh, psychologically, what it tells you is probably it's not going to work, probably I'm not going to understand you, and in that case, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forward you to a human agent. And then it even, uh, I think we also took out the direct question if they want to directly be connected to the human agent, because, you know, again, it, this is about confidence, right? It's about saying, like, well, I'm here to help you. What can I help you with? And then go. The technology that is our, at our disposal, the natural language understanding, for example, now also large language models that are, are at our disposal to understand human language in its natural fashion, they are there, you know? So you, you, you have the possibility to ask more open-ended questions, you know, and you and you have the possibility to first start with a confident attitude, and then if something doesn't work out, you can still go back. You can still then, as a second step, offer to connect to a human agent. Right? So this is, for example, one of if I remember correctly, this is one of the things we uh, we changed uh, we changed in that message. And a lot of these, you know, like a lot of these messages, which, which are basically about setting expectations, right? They are also important in the right context. But if you, if you overuse them, it's again, it's again decreasing the, the perceived confidence of this, converse, this digital conversational partner that you are talking with, right? So in my eyes, it's better to start confidently. If something goes wrong along the way, you have to... Handle that well, but if you do that, no problem. You know, if we if we started into this conversation, Jesse, and I would have told you, well, Jesse, to be honest, I'm not so sure about this topic, and I'm really not sure if I'm an expert on this, but let's get started. I mean, how would that have made your your audience feel, right? How would it how would that mm -hmm. have made you feel? No, no. You introduced me. I said, yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Let's go. I don't have to say more. You know, that's it. That's also how, you know, like that's how digital assistants should behave. I'm, and I am excited. I think we're having a great conversation, you know, and I, and yeah. I, should, not, I should not basically uh, screw up this conversation by doubting myself right at the start of it. Yeah, and I think it's so interesting, that confidence at the beginning. And I, I, as you were saying it, I kind of, I, I find it always helpful to compare it, what you see on a chatbot, or I'm assuming this is like an IVR, to a human real life interaction kind of like what you just did and I was seeing it in my head as someone comes up to me in the shop and I say before we even start talking about the conversation oh would you like to speak to someone else over there first and exactly. it's like <laughs> you wouldn't even say that because then you definitely would because if that person can't even hear, hear your question before you've even you know before you've even given them a chance you know you're definitely going to go to that that next sentence but also it's just a bit of a bizarre and weird thing to say and essentially says that like you say you have no confidence in your abilities and I guess, well, first of all, you need to ascertain whether you do have those abilities or not. So in some cases, maybe it is okay to say that, but as in this case, you said, it, you know, technology, they were sound. And it's just amazing how those, that those design tweaks, the UX changes can actually be so impactful. And I think that's where a lot of companies really fall down on the conversational design, the UX, that's where they, they really miss the mark. So I think, what, what did you say the, the resolution rate was it that doubled? Yeah, so like this basically means that, you know, like how many calls um, 
uh, of this of this specific use case were end to end handled by the bot without being without having to escalate them to a human agent, right? Um, and um, yeah, so this is this is a measure, right? Of like of how much the bot can really do can really do themselves, right? And and if you if you're able to double that, it's a huge uh, it's a huge increase in value. No? Yeah. Um, and I think it's also, you know, when we when we talk about this this value delivery, you know, of course there's a there's a direct value here, which is about basically this 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 amount of minutes that basically the bot can do, right? Of course you can save costs on that, but at the same time, the human agents can actually focus on the tasks that they can do much better, you know, like tasks that require a lot of empathy. So for example, although I really believe in attractive and capable digital assistants, my recommendation would still be if someone tells you, I want to cancel my contract, that's a case that I would immediately escalate to a human agent to just show them the respect. Hey, we, we really value you as a customer. We're going to immediately forward you to a human agent. And if the bot handles questions, you know, standard questions that, that, that a human agent is basically just busy with, but where they don't need much empathy or things like that, then they have the time and you have the possibility to escalate to a human agent immediately. And a human agent can say, uh, we're really sorry to hear you go. You know, maybe can you tell us what, what, uh, what made you come to that decision? And is there anything we can do to keep you as a customer because you we really valued your business right this is also about you know like it's it's in customer service it's not just about uh, saving costs through digital assistance but also enabling human agents to actually focus on the high value cases right because if someone that says i want to cancel my contract is is waiting along on the phone line he will find another way to cancel the contract and you will never you will never be having an, an opportunity to convince him to stay and to and you know and and this is huge. This is huge in terms of again uh, of value that this delivers to a company. If you are able to convince people that we're about to leave to stay, or if you are able to to have really like you know pressing problems solved for people, so that they go they go out into the world and they tell stories about the great customer service that uh, that you have. That's what I meant before about you know turning customers into fans, right? We, we are storytellers, human beings. We are storytellers over all of our history. And we like to tell two kinds of stories. One, one's about really, really bad experiences and the ones about really, really phenomenal experiences. As a company, you want to be on the side of the really, really phenomenal experiences. And that's what Charismatic AI is about. Fantastic. And out of interest as well, so the case study you described the way you doubled the resolution rate, did you see an impact on their customer satisfaction metric, whether it was NPS or CSAT maybe? Yes, 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 definitely. I, I don't have the exact numbers on my head, but it was also like a really, really big, significant increase in the, uh, in the NPS. Increase, yes, yeah. For sure. So more customers successfully through the bot and an overall satisfaction rate increases. And I'm assuming yeah. probably the satisfaction rate did the satisfaction rate increase for both the bot only conversations, but also those that did still go through to a human? Because I'm assuming the agents then probably had more time for those customers and were feeling less pressure of more customers, more queues, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Great. And so what's the overarching direction and vision you've set for the agency? How ambitious are you going to be? So 
The vision was and is charismatic AI. We create digital assistants with charisma. So it's about this question, how to create digital assistants that turn customers into fans. And, you know, we're working every day on this. So for us, this is a, you know, like a lighthouse that we're moving towards. It's never finished, you know. You can always do better. You can, you can, always, you can always improve your, your approach, your methodology. And that's the great thing, you know, when we first defined this vision, we were looking for something that's intriguing. You know, charisma is an intriguing concept, right? Intriguing. At the same time, it, it, it had to deliver real, real business value, right? And I think I, I made clear in, in the arguments I, I did before how big this value is. And then you can, you can really rally a team behind this vision, you know? And it's, you know, it's, it's not attained. You always move towards it. You move towards that lighthouse. And being able to constantly move towards it and to constantly improve on that journey, that's, in my eyes, what makes a great vision for a company. I love how you are a company that is providing agency services to businesses. But at the same time, I also get this real vibe that you're almost like a think tank slash research mechanism with this vision mission in mind. And actually, your clients are incredibly lucky to have you because you're taking them on the journey with you. And you're going to consistently improve and, and you know get better results for your clients at the same time, as well as you learning more. And I think for anyone interested, I'm sure loads of people will look online after listening to this. But you described part of your team earlier in the makeup of roles. I found it so interesting looking at Y Agency's website and just looking at your team page because you have everyone everyone's photos mm-hmm. there but also the just a variety of titles there and i think maybe you know people that have you know invested in conversation oh, chatbots ivrs bots whatever you're doing have a look and have a look at the people that write agency and the skill sets that have been involved mm-hmm. in you know in what and and therefore their clients and you can really think gosh i really missed a mark here because a lot of companies i think would have, wouldn't have had even half of them and i think it just goes to show the kind of almost the diversity of thought and how much is needed to go in to what you're trying to achieve mm-hmm. yeah i think you know for me this this team is is really everything you know and, and it has been it has been from the very start you know like the the stream that i talked about at the outset of our conversation stream to become an entrepreneur the most rewarding experience about all of this is actually creating that team, you know, and, and going with that team, you know, through ups and downs. It's, it's not a straight way up, you know, you, 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 you have to deal with crisis. It's very normal for any, any business, but it's actually the crisis times, they show you the, the, the power of a of a great team and the power of of a, of a culture, you know, um, and so for example, also when we when we talk about the the leadership philosophy that that we follow in in our company, I am a strong proponent of the the service leadership ideal. So to any applicant that I interviewed for a leadership position. I always told them, if you want to be a leader here, you have to earn it by giving it all you got to serve your team members. And I, on the other side, I rejected applicants after the first talk that told me things like, how many people will be working under me? I despise this, you know, this kind of uh, under me. I'm, you know. So... 
we've we've always tried to to follow this this ideal of like you know as a servant leadership and we've also always believed in making our company really a great place to work that's why for example we we invested in in special office places even in times where so many companies cut back on their spending on offices so for example here in munich where i'm currently standing we have an office uh, on the fourth floor uh, of a building which is right next to the isar and the, it has a, a, a co-working space like where most of our people here in munich work together that leads out to a balcony which looks down directly at the isar river and has a view to the so-called maximilianeum which is the seat of the bavarian parliament so it's really like you know an impressive view and why do we do that? Why do we invest in spaces like that? Because we love to come together to work, to love, to feel each other. You know? And if you spend a lot of time in such a space where you come together, then this place should be special. It should have its very own charisma. You know? uh, and so, Jesse, you will experience it yourself. I told you, you are invited to visit our Munich office during the time when you will be here in Munich for the Conversational AI and Customer Experience Summit. 23rd yep. 24th of november so i'm very very happy to it. yeah yeah very happy I'm really to, excited to meet all the i'm really excited to meet the people actually so i'm i'm, I'm wondering whether they're all like you christoph and and this mission of charisma and whether you slap <laughs> it i don't know do you, do you like say a motto every day as you go into work or something because i think it's you know such an you know an extraordinary culture and i'm really excited to kind of see it and what is the day-to-day -day experience like at what agency yeah so uh, I think one part is definitely about you know like the, the creative process. So you mm. know like coming to coming together as as a team of creative thinkers to get the best out of AI that we can. As I said, you know we consider ourselves the specialists, the experts for the experience in AI. And actually, uh, the 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 legal name of the company is actually Idea Bay. No? Uh, which is a name that I also like very much because you can actually say things like, I'm, I'm going to the idea bay to work. You know? I'm, I'm going to let my creativity run. I'm going to inspire others and be inspired by their creativity. And I think what, what really summarizes our, our philosophy, our, our way of looking also at, at work is uh, the, the system of our five values that we put to support this vision of charismatic AI. The first value is we all contribute with our work to the fulfillment of our own goals. And this is basically the purpose value. You know, It's based on a book, which I really like, which is called The Big Five for Life, uh, which is a, you know, like it's a fictional book, but it's, it's a fictional book about an entrepreneur who's basically setting in, in, in his company the, the goal that people define when they join the company, what are the big five life goals that they want to reach? And then in the process of interviews and in the process of establishing them in the company, they actually think to themselves, how can we reach? How can we make a step towards our own life goals in our work? Now, this is a, you know, this is a fictional book and it's, it's of course easy to create this vision on paper, right? But I, I, I took it in here, and we're still trying to, to, to drive it forward. I've had big five talks 
with uh, with many with many of my team members and it was always amazing to to see them like you know coming up with these goals and then seeing like wow yes i can actually drive this goal forward by doing this here in this work and the great thing about this is right that if you if you are being paid to work towards your life goals i mean that's the that's wonderful right so that's the first that's the first value second one is we complement each other as a team so this is just to, to encompass this value of you know, not working against each other, but together. There's nothing that my brother and me despise more than office politics. So we, we always try to keep that out of our team, out of our company. People going behind each other's backs and, and things like that. We don't like that. Third value is we understand our users. So for us, you know, like bringing the design mindset and so on to companies, for, to us, this comes quite naturally, but we put this as one of these central values to also set a role model, to really say, this is, this, is, this is actually what it's all about. Put your users, put your customers at the center of, the, of your attention. Why? Because in the end, they are paying all your bills. They're paying your salaries, everything. It's in your very best interest to only and really, truly think about what is best for them. The fourth value is we love making things better which is on the one hand, like, you know, this frontier spirit of innovation, you know, just curiosity. But on a second level, we interpret this also as a conscious rejection of perfectionism. Because we have many people in our team, including myself, which have seen the dark sides of perfectionism. Because perfect is never attainable, you know. You can never reach it, and that's why it's actually demotivating. But improving something step by step it keeps your motivation high and you have success every, every day, you know? And the fifth one is we work sustainably. And this value we interpret on basically three levels. First one is having a good work-life balance. So we really try our best, which is not, the, I would say it's not usual in the agency business, but we really try our best to not have any over hours, stay within the normal working weeks, do our work there. And in the end, it's all about, you know, like it's all about the right mindset and efficiency. You can always get something done in, in, uh, in a certain period of time if, if, if you manage to put the right, uh, basically the, the right frame to it. Uh, then, of course, sustainability also in terms of the general sustainability of the company, the, also the financial sustainability. So we, we keep our eyes of course on like well we have to deliver true value to our customers because again they pay all our bills they pay all our wages right so they have to be at the center of our attention in terms of this sustainability and then there's also this third part which is you know the big one the one in terms of contributing to the big concept of sustainability on a global level but i can honestly say that even myself i'm amazed at the degree to which people have taken that value to heart also in their private lives. You know, when I go visit our other offices in, in Berlin, for example, or in, uh, in Bonn, the Bonn Cologne area, and I talk to people and I, for example, I go out to lunch with them and I see them like, you know, rejecting, uh, uh, rejecting wrappings that would really like, you know, not be very sustainable. I was like, wow, yeah, well, I have not, I've not even implemented that myself in my, in my own life. Uh, so, this is a value that is also really truly ingrained in the team. And together, I would say these five values describe 
very well how we see ourselves and, and how we try to, to work together. Amazing. And you mentioned your brother earlier on in this answer. Yeah. And I know your brother is also the co-founder of the business. What's it like working with your brother? I love it. I love it. So uh, as, I, as I said, I think in the very start, it was always a combined dream that we had to you know, mm -hmm. have a company together, to be entrepreneurs together. And we do complement each other perfectly. So like this value of we complement each other perfectly as a team, it really also applies to the founding team. I would say, you know, I am I'm more of the visionary and and he's he's more of the one that can really get things to the road, you know, that can really get things implemented. So, you know, like, of course, sometimes he has to tell me, Christoph, you know, has a great idea, but we have to first get this one done, you know, and I have to say, yes, yes, that's true. And, and at the same time, he tells me, wow, Christoph, this was an amazing idea again. I, I'm, I'm very happy to work with you on that, right? So these two things, they really complement each other well. And uh, I love it. As, uh, I, would have, I would do nothing differently. I would, have always, I would always do it again like that, found this company with my brother. That's lovely. And so then what advancements in technology do you, you see yourself at what agency spearheading over the next decade? So in, in my eyes, really, like the next, the next months uh, uh, are definitely going to be focused on how do we best implement generative AI across a company. Our focus has been on, on, on consulting really big enterprise companies. And of course, this is like, you know, this is a, a big challenge to have such a system like, you know, from the strategic level really implemented at all at all levels of the company. But since the topic of AI, of generative AI, has really reached top of mind of, uh, of the board levels, I'm really looking forward to that. So I, I think this is going to be the most, the most significant thing we're going to focus on in, uh, in, the, in the coming months. And then, as I said, you know, like, this is really, this is the age of AI. And, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about, well, how is this going to impact not just you know, our way of working, how is this going to impact our whole societies? So, of course, you know, myself also, I, I try to be part of this discussion. I try to, to take active part in that and also share my expertise, share my knowledge about the revolution we're undergoing. Also, you know, taking fears away while still being aware of the risks that definitely exist. That's good. And then what other opportunities and challenges do you think you'll face in this space? So, as I just said, the biggest opportunity is definitely the a, availability of these powerful generative AI tools and what we can, what we can do with them, the, the, the creative powers we can unleash. The, the biggest challenge in my eyes is Will policymakers really work together with us, people that are experts in this space, that, that are using these, these tools for the best of customers, of people, when regulating this space? Because we have to be careful not to stifle the immense creative power that this technology will unlock in people. So right now we have actually the AI safety summit underway in, in Bletchley Park as we speak, actually. And, and yesterday, uh, Volker Wissing, which is the, the German minister for digital affairs, he actually also warned to not have a race of regulators 
but a, a coordinated approach which focuses on the real risks. So, of course, we, we have to identify risks that exist and, and we have to see how we can prevent them from materializing. But, but at the same time, we have to be careful to leave the room for the immense creative power of people to do new and amazing things with these new technological possibilities. And, and I'll try to make my contribution in this discussion. Wonderful. And then we're nearly at the end of this episode. But something we always like to end with is just our surprise question round. So I've got a list of 50 questions related to conversational commerce, technology and business. And using a random selector from my spreadsheet, yours today, Christoph, is... Well, this isn't a good one for you. If you could start a business tomorrow, what would that business be? Anything. I mean, that's an easy one. That's an easy one. As I said, you know, like a, I would do what I'm doing right now. That's the great thing, you know. Like I, I was on vacation a few weeks ago, and I and I read a great book also, which is called The Psychology of Money, you know, and and it talked about it talked about this instance where there was there was a book author, and um, he was he was on a party, and a friend of him told him, well, look at this look look at this hedge fund manager over there. He just made in a month. He made, he made income in a month that amounted to the total of your revenues that you did with your, with your book. And uh, this, this book author replied, yes, but there's one thing that this man will never have. The other guy asked him, what is that? And he replied, enough. <laughs> so, you know, you also, in order to reach true happiness, you have to define when it's enough. Now, given my curious spirit, I will always, you know, I will always run forward. But what is enough for me is the vision and the team that I have around myself, I would not change it. That's why if I had to found a company tomorrow, I would found the same one again. Amazing. And I think that kind of beautifully sums it up and, and also sums up not just that question, this episode, but also kind of you know, what you're seeking to do as a business. And not just as an entrepreneur, which I think is you know an amazing thing. It's much wider than just you and your brother. It's the whole organization and everyone that you impact as well. So I think it's really remarkable. So you know, thank you very much for for coming along to this episode, Christoph. I think it's been incredibly insightful. It's really inspiring for me to listen to you and and for you to share. You know, it's not. It's it, I keep saying this. It's not just a company because it's so much more than that in every way. It feels like you know it's part research think tank, family, culture, community, you're really creating it all. And I think that's really important for, you know, anyone, whether it's a client interacting with you or an employee that's part of it, because then they're part of something so much larger than just a nine to five job, um, which I think is, you know, really lovely. So, you know, thank you very much for coming on here, sharing everything today. It's been great having you along. Thank, thanks to you, Jesse. Thanks very much. I think it was a really, really lovely conversation. You are a great conversational partner. I told you before when we uh, when we interacted before, uh, it's really enjoyable. I think you 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 also come up with really good questions, and so it was a real real pleasure to be here. I'm very excited to meet you in person in Munich end of November, and was very happy to be here. Thank you for coming along, and to all our fantastic listeners around the world, if you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Thank you for joining us, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Goodbye.